Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, Hair Metal, Reggae, and all points in between, then Crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I'm Henry. And he is shirtless. And I'm Chris. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, July of 1981, part deux. Part two, another month that was so great that we had to do it two times. I noticed on our list that there's three months in a row that we're doing double duty on how June, come we July, don't do, and August. How, don't, how come we don't do a third on some months? Well, like, I, let me give you an example. Like There, there are records that we've missed oh, that I'm we gonna, didn't do. I'm going to tell you a little boo-boo I made this time around that I, I hate, that I had to put into August. So next month, we will be covering a record that actually came out in July. I think it was one of the most important records of the 80s. And I forgot to put it in July, even when we put 10 fucking records in July. So, uh, July part two, we're already working an apology again. We are. It's awesome. Right at the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not, uh, we're not in a kitchen anymore, but we're close enough to one. We're right beside it. So I still say that our intro's uh, working. Yeah, I say keep it. We are seven floors up from uh, beautiful uptown Charlotte, North Carolina. South right end, the, Henry, to be exact. South end, right down by the light rail. You heard some sound effects to that effect last month, I'm sure. That's right, so, that's right. Henry, let's do some plugs at the top. If you like our show or you like the records we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can also listen on Spotify and Stitcher, or if you're in the mood, a new place called Spitcher. And share it with your friends, not your spit, though. If you could, <laughs> you could chat us up on Twitter at 80s Exposed. That's at 80SEXPOSED, not sex posed. 80s Exposed, or uh, 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. Chris's Twitter handle, that's me, is at TCI Duke. And mine on Twitter is at Hank G. And G is spelled G-E-E. Yeah. Also, we pick the records by the rags method. And we say this every time. You can go back and listen to an older episode if you want to know what the specifics of the rags method is. I will talk about it just for a second here in a minute because it leads us into... A listener email we got, Henry. Uh, address our past musical history. How do you want to address it? Let's well, address let's, our let's, past let's musical Let's let the history. rest of the people in on this. So we got okay. listener email from a yeah, fan. Yeah. Uh, not a fan or a listener. I don't want to say fan. I don't want to go out there. But uh, named Richard. And he asked us a lot of great questions. We thought maybe we'd respond to some of them. Uh, briefly and just let you guys know some more stuff about us so his first one he asked if we would address our past musical history Henry I'm gonna just give you a couple of these questions and okay. you just rapid fire yeah what instrument did you play when you were part of a band uh, I played guitar mostly I played uh, Juno keyboard a couple times okay did you start on that instrument uh, start Playing, yes, that's the first instrument I ever learned. Okay, did you play in a band together? That I think he meant you and I. Yes, you and I played in a band called Galaxy Girl that we started in like 1996, 97, um, and kept at it for a few years till 
probably the 2000s. Okay, and also, did you re- did we record any of our music? Yes, we did an EP that was called July, dot, 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 July. Your wife is on the cover of that record. That's true. Uh, and I still have copies of that cassette. I've been threatening to... It's up. It's on the internet now. If you want to find it, it's uh, it's on my SoundCloud account under Hank G, or you email me and I'll send it to you. Excellent. And I'll answer real quickly. Uh, I played bass guitar. I did. Well, I started on drums and then went to bass. The only recorded music other than what Henry's talking about that actually is on the internet for me was from a band called First Night on Earth. It's on Spotify. And it, if you're feeling dangerous, go. Is check some that of the band fence out. line stuff? Online Maybe someplace? I think it was on I think it was on MySpace. Oh, okay. And got got zapped on the old MySpace. Uh, Chris was in a few other bands here, uh, Fence Lions and Saturday Night Sunday Morning. Sea of Cortez. He's done a lot of other projects since we stopped playing together, but but I don't know if you can find any of that. But anyway, there's that. Henry, he also asked us to discuss the merits of the TDK SA90 cassette tape. I think I'll take it in one direction, let you go in the other. Okay. I think in the direction of making mixtapes mm-hmm. i think it was the most superior tape because it gave you the most room on both sides to do a lot of creativity with your mixtapes come up and put a lot of songs on it i like the i like the sa90 for that reason also the other reason is the other reason would be that you could get a whole album on one side if you wanted to make a copy of a record for your friend yeah for all you young folks out there back in the day you couldn't just stream stuff if you wanted to make a copy of your friend's record you had to have a tape Mm -hmm. and you so the the 90 gave you the ability to put a record on one side and on the a side and on the b side a whole record um is a playlist today henry the equivalent of a mixtape no why because in the old days you had to take the time and the effort to listen to the songs as you put them on the record or on the tape and you had to um it was something that you carefully planned out now it's with playlists it's just point and click and also you know it was a physical representation it took up space in somebody's pocket it took up space in their bag they had to care for it they make they they could have sat on it or broken it or and, something and, and, and we forgot about this too like it had label like you had a chance to do some artwork on right there. you could draw on it or say this one is for megan my true mm-hmm. love and then and, and write it in little block letters and yeah you could all do all sorts of, stuff. of things mm-hmm. so and it, and it took physical time too right henry like if you were going to record a police song on your mixtape you had to listen to the police song all the way through mm-hmm. press the two buttons and then wait and stop it right at the end and figure out how much time you had left to record the next song. And you know, you didn't always own the record that you were trying to make tapes. You taped off the radio sometimes. That's right. That's right. So if you wanted to hear Michael Jackson's Beat It off the radio, you you, you know, you recorded it there and you caught all... I would love to find those tapes. You know, I know. And you think, you tape off have the you radio. ever thought about this too, about how many mixtapes there must be somewhere, I guess in junkyards all across the... like. That, that were made and just like ended up in landfills mm-hmm. think of all those different tapes somebody I, needs to get gather all those from goodwill and see what's on them but anyway thanks richard for the email i know you had some other questions maybe um you know we'll get to them in a later episode thanks a lot though for asking us all that stuff i did want to mention one other thing that richard said he made a suggestion that maybe we say when we introduce a record 
how it fit into the rags method, why we picked it, which part of the rags method did we use. So I will try to make an effort to do that as we go through. The first record we're going to cover, because that took a whole significant events time, Henry, is mm-hmm. by a band called Oingo Boingo. The record is called Only a Lad. I believe it's their debut record. It was picked under the shit we like uh, department of the rags method. And this is the song On the Outside. Okay, so this was their debut album, although they did have a self-titled EP, I believe, before. Was it t- this self-titled? Came out. I believe it was called Oingo Boingo. Yeah. And it actually, I, I'm not certain that it came out that long before this one. So, but this is the debut album. Um, I can't help but think how knowing what I what we know now about Danny Elfman and what he became colored my listen to this record because I honestly, Henry, had never heard much Oingo Boingo I, I, except for Weird Science. I as deliberately a kid. avoided it because of the fucking stupid band name. The best analogy I could make, and this is this is me trying to be nice, is if Devo and XTC had a baby. Did you write that too? I did. Did you write that? If wrote, Devo and XTC like Devo. had a baby, but that baby could not figure out how to write a pop song, that would be Oingo Boingo. I called it Artless Art Rock. <laughs> I also put in here that this is the whitest, soulless music I've ever heard. Ostentatious. Annoying. XTC without the pop sensibilities. This album sounds like an experiment in making pop music if you've never heard pop music and someone just told you what it was. So it sounded to me like maybe somebody told him, this is what pop music is, and he goes, let me take a stab at that. Did you happen to catch that song called Capitalism? Oh, I did. There's nothing wrong with capitalism. There's nothing wrong with free enterprise. Don't try to make me feel guilty. I'm so tired of hearing you cry. So the National Review did like a list of great songs and, that's, and that's this was one, one of them it. because it was pro-capitalism well i hate to say this henry because the other thought i had which i really did think about this a long time was this album's horrible mm-hmm. it's putrid i don't understand it but this record could have not come from any other time period in my mind but the 80s so how do i judge it in that light See, you can't, the problem is, is that objectively, it's not poorly done. Like, it's, you can't say that they played bad or that they couldn't play. Or you can't even say that the guy can't write songs. It's just they're annoying songs. 
They were just bad songs. They weren't nice to listen to. They were But I can also say annoying. Like, I can objectively say that if you pick up a baseball bat and go into your backyard and swing it at a ball, you are playing baseball. But you're not playing for the New York Yankees. This guy was writing song. He could play an instrument. I'm still not 100% convinced after listening to this thing twice that he knows what a pop song is. I think he knows he wants to know what a pop well, song it's, is. Well, it's it's informed by other other stuff. Well, see, I'm giving him credit Jazz for the soundtrack. Like if I had listened to it at the time, I'd been like, this guy is. I don't I don't like this at all. So I'm not going to give it any credence because it came from the '80s. It does sound like the '80s. He's got this weird affectation to it. It's it's dramatic sort of musical stuff. I can see. Was it, that's the only way I can see it now because of all the Tim Burton. If you, if you love Boingo Boingo, then of course you love this. If you don't and you're listening to our show and you're thinking, should I go back? Don't. And the reason this falls under the shit we like part of the rags method is Henry and I were both kind of excited to go back and think, ooh, maybe we missed Boingo Boingo. Maybe it's not so bad. Because I've done it with other bands. Listen to them. And, <laughs> it's yeah. happened before. It's just not going to happen this time. So, yeah, uh, if, on the track, uh, this song gets a, I mean, this record gets a big thumbs down for me. Fuck it. How about another record, Henry? You okay. got one? Yeah, I got, a, I got a record for you to listen to, okay. Chris. Okay, how about this one? From a little person named Stevie Nicks. Oh, yeah? Remember her? I do. She Her uh, first solo album was called Bella Donna. Just like the white wing dove Sings a song that sounds like she's singing Edge of Seventeen. That's right. By Stevie Nicks, and we picked Belladonna first of all because it, back in the day it got a Rolling Stone five star review. And you know who wrote it? Which I didn't even realize who wrote worked. the review. Yeah, I didn't know who. I didn't know Kurt Loder worked for Rolling Stone in nineteen. He did. He was a Rolling Stone guy. I just didn't know he was before, in eighty one. Before he. Oh well, I didn't know that. I thought he was with MTV then. I, I well. Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, he wrote the review. It's that was his big review. thing. Like MTV got him, and he was oh, he was really, like this. That was his credibility. I think. Nice. Well, anyway. good for you, Kurt Loder. <laughs> <laughs> that was your Kurt Loder moment. 
<laughs> but, but Belladonna, let's talk about it. So, Belladonna was Stevie Nicks' first solo album. She worked on it between Tusk and Mirage, right, uh, with Fleetwood Mac. She did. And I think uh, she said it the best at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. I, I think she was inducted last year or the mm-hmm. year before, where she specifically told Jimmy, is it Iovine or Eovine? Or, I've said Iovine. I say Iovine, too. Who produced the record. Not a bad person to have produced. And Tom Petty did, too. Well, she said specifically to him, I want to make a record that sounds like a Tom Petty record. I want to make a Tom Petty record. So what did Jimmy Iovine do? He went and got Tom Petty, and it looks to me like most of the heartbreakers are on this record as well. Yeah. um, So in some fat form or fashion, they are on a lot of the songs. They're not on all of them. Right, but they're on a lot of them. And Tom even gave her the a song for the record, which turned out to be the duet um, Stop Dragging My Heart Around, which is, a, I think, a classic. Mm-hmm. I think people don't even know that that was on this record a lot of times. I think they think it's just a Tom Petty song that she helped out on. I think so, too. But uh, it, it was written by Tom, but it was on this record. There's also a duet on here, Henry, that I'd forgotten about that she did with Don Henley. Isn't it weird that you know the song? You do know the... I don't know if you're like me, but when I read down the track listing... I saw the song Leather and Lace, but and the if you pre- previous to this, if you had mentioned Leather and Lace, I would have thought about this strip club. It's not far away from here. <laughs> I can actually see that's it out called, the window. Yeah, that's called Leather and Lace. I did, and, and then when I listened to the song, I said, okay, that's, I didn't know the title of the song. And not only that, but I didn't remember Don Henley's part. I'd forgot, did you? I didn't either. I, I totally forgot the Don Henley so part, for which is it, not true on the Tom Petty duet. Which yeah. I almost think of it as a Tom Petty song. You do, but you hear his harmony. His, right. his harmony enriches her, like, you know, major. And one of the, I mean, obviously, this I, I love this album. Um, I found it uh, a, a durable, quality record from beginning to end. I think in the same way we described the Tom Petty album that we uh, reviewed a couple months ago, this album sounds iconic and out of time it doesn't necessarily sound like the 80s to me it just sounds like a great rock and roll record but now a a lot of that is obviously stevie nicks but i think a lot of that too is the heartbreakers i don't know that they have the ability not to sound that way i don't know but i i I, well there were songs that they didn't play no i i'm not i'm not i don't want to steal her thought i think this record is great and i think the one thing it does for me which is kind of i might be heresy to you uh, as of a huge Lindsey Buckingham fan, this album to me solidified that she is better on her own than he is better on his own. Okay, this is what my sentence from my notes. I said quality of work, but I suspect it's she knew how to cut who to call together, unlike Lindsey Buckingham, who I think is more of a control freak. Well, I, what I would say though is, and right. I would go further than that. I would say to be great, truly great. Lindsey Buckingham needs Stevie right. Nicks. He needs a to be great. Right. Stevie Nicks actually doesn't need Lindsey Buckingham. If you go to the internet and you look for the rough demo of the song uh, Belladonna, it's it's almost better 
than the one that's Everyone, on the album, it's Megan and it's here just her July and, uh, in the piano. Episode. Yeah, and I'm in no way, it's I don't want this review to come off like saying that she can't write a song. And that uh, she wrote every song Petty. with the exception of the Tom Petty song. So I think Winter right. is here. So I'm not, I'm not trying to equate that at all. Nice I'm just saying that I think picking the Heartbreakers and Jimmy Iovine was a great... Yeah, I mean, that was like... Which you probably shouldn't have to say. I mean, Bentmont Pinch, like, if he wants to be on a record, I'd Play on yeah, Benmont is on it. All of them are on it. But, right. And um, that, but there were about like twenty different, you know, guys on that thing. So also there were four hits on this record. It went uh, platinum by October from July. I don't really think of this one as being huge like that. Well, you. T- I think of it as a big record, but I don't think of it as any bigger than like Boston's. Uh, debut record or something. This, you know what I mean? This was on here because it was a Rolling Stone five-star album. Right? Yeah, and it deserves it. I, th- I think it's yeah. a great record. I'm going to recommend it, not just because it's an 80s record, but because it's just a great record. Yeah, uh, quality uh, record from beginning to end. Uh, big thumbs up. So, Andrew, we're both going to recommend this record, I, I, I surmise. Yep, yep. Excellent. Okay. Top shelf. Excellent. So our next record is by Pat Benatar, and this one... We are reviewing because she won a Grammy for a song off the record, believe it or not. The record is called Precious Time, and this song is the title track. of today when we record when we were recording mm-hmm. this morning Pat Benatar found out that she had just been nominated for the first time for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame really she found out today today was the day they announced the nominees I heard it on my way into work she's one of the 16 nominees that doesn't mean she's in she just made the ballot and this is her first ballot Pat Benatar Rock and Roll Hall of Fame well, all right. Yes, one of three women on the ballot. Um, so, yeah, I think it was apropos that we were reviewing her record today. Unfortunately, it's not a good record overall. So this is the LP that is after Crimes of Passion. Yes. Right? Crimes of Passion was, we didn't cover it in August of 80, but this is the one that has hit me with your best shot. This has got Hell is for Children, right? Yeah, this and, and, was the good one. But before... Some of her other stuff that people probably know her from. What well, look, she's working her way up. And, I, and again, she is going to become, I think, mostly because of her videos later in the mm-hmm. year. She's going to jump on the MTV wave, and, and she's going to have some big hits. We belong. But in all honesty, the Pat Benatar train had been rolling for the two previous records. Mm-hmm. I feel like this record was 
we're out of ideas, but we got to put something out. I feel like this is a very industry record. Like we got to have product, Pat. Her and her partner, this. Uh, I feel like Geraldo guy. Mm-hmm. Man, this dude can he not write a industry like created so, like made for the radio record that has no passion or I, song I think no that passion. every if you look at her whole discography like I went back and looked it seemed like every every album had just one hit on it even this one had had a what was fire and ice right which Minor. nobody really know everybody remembers it but doesn't really remember you know right they might they heard it in passing at some point but I, I think there's an argument to be made that the record before this is a good record, not just one I don't, good I mean, song. I think Comparatively, I, this one sounds tired, and I'll tell you another I, reason that I know. Here's a little pro tip. When you're an artist who's starting to make it pretty big, and the record company wants you to put a record out, and you put it out, and you got two covers on the record, you're basically signaling to the public, I'm out of good, solid ideas. That Helter Skelter cover was shitty, man. Not only now that's my point, Henry. Both the covers are shitty. They don't add anything to what was already there. You know why they're on there? To fill it out. Because they got no, they <laughs> they got got no, no material. Was there another song? Was there another yes, cover besides? There was Filter a cover Skelter? on uh, side one. Side I didn't eight. catch that one. See, all the songs on there are these are these bland, sort of pointless, one note kind of songs. I barely got through this one. She didn't write uh, many of these songs either. Well, you're going to find throughout the her career that her writing partner and husband, Geraldo, uh, I think it's Nick, Neil, Neil Geraldo, mm-hmm. wrote a lot of the songs. But that first album he didn't write a lot on, but, no, but this but, one he did. And, and, he, and going forward, he, and he produced mm-hmm. this record. But if, when you talk about Pat Benatar, the entity... It's the two of them. They're like a partnership. They they're work under the name of Pat Benatar. But the third song on the record, Just Like Me, is a Paul Revere and the Raiders cover. Oh. Just, just for clarity's sake. But I want to mention why I played Precious Time, the title track. Wow. Because it was not written by any of them. It was written by a guy named Billy Steinberg, which really piqued my interest because it was my favorite song on the record. I liked the guitar work on it a lot. And I was like, why? So who's Billy Steinberg and why did they pick his record? Billy Steinberg. He wrote a few other songs. Some of these you might know. Like a Virgin by Madonna. Oh. True Colors by Cindy Lauper. Oh. Eternal Flame by The Bangles. Oh. So Emotional by Whitney Houston. Oh. Alone by Heart. Oh. He and his partner also co-wrote these little ditties. And it, I didn't write his co- co-writer's name, and I'm sorry. Um, I Drove All Night. Mm. I Touch Myself. By the Divinals. He wrote that. And I'll Stand By You by the Pretenders. He really wrote that? They yeah. didn't write that themselves. So congratulations, Pat Benatar. You have the only Billy Steinberg song on your record, and you even made it the title track, and it didn't do nothing. <laughs> so, look, I think she's just an industry person. I think they, you know, if you look, she was, her whole, she had beautiful, full red lips, you know. And she had a good it was, voice, it was, really good was voice. Pretty, so they really pushed her. I mean, I realized as I listened to this. Oh, wait a second, Alana Miles was actually Pat Benatar. Alana Morissette, you mean? No, Alana Black Velvet. Oh God, I forgot about Alana Miles. <laughs> yeah, yes, Alana Miles. Black vinyl, Black, Black Velvet. 
I forgot was, about her. Is the lost Pat Benatar song. Wow. I never thought of that. <laughs> Think about that. I, I, I feel like there's a lot to be said for if there was no MTV, there would be no Pat Benatar. Yeah. I think about that video she has that's on a record coming up, um, Love is a Battlefield. And it was all over MTV all the time. I think MTV, she's one of those artists that MTV helped make. With that said, I'm not quite as down on her as you are. I don't think she's totally an industry hack. I think that last record was actually pretty good. I think they were just, they needed to take another year off. And they probably didn't get the time to do it because... The industry, their industry people saying, go, 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 go. So I, I don't want to totally beat her up, especially on the day she got nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who am I to beat on? Well, who am I to beat on? Anyway, I'm just telling you my opinion. I don't. I think she's an in, she's an industry made person. Right. Okay. Well, uh, anyway. uh, a couple words that I had, and I want to. Uh, this is just in my notes. Uh-huh. Generic and formula mm-hmm. come to mind when you listen to this record. So I would say if you want to be a, if you want to listen to some Pat Benatar. Listen to the record before this one or the record after it, but this is this is not the yeah, one. Yeah, I wrote bland, pointless, one note. <laughs> wow. But Precious Time's not a terrible song. Mm. They didn't write it, but... Next. <laughs> we nexted Pat Benatar. We just nexted Pat Benatar on nomination day. <laughs> oh, I, oh, wait, before we next her. Uh-huh. I did want to bring this up, Henry, and I get your opinion. What? And it's not just Pat Benatar, but I have been noticing a trend in some of the records that we've been, or the artists that we've been covering, that there is a definite Joan Jett influence of the industry happening, where the industry's like, I want to get that, I I need that Runaways kind of sound. Like a hard girl? But not a real one. I need one that we can control and is nice. Oh, okay. And I felt the Go-Go's were kind of that way. And now I feel like Pat Benatar is kind of that, like, the Runaways were scary. They were the scary version of that. Mm -hmm. But there was, they could see there was money to be made. And I feel like listening to Pat Benatar sing, there's a lot of Joan Jett. In her voice. I could hear that, but I, but again, I think that's uh, and the look, it's the short school, hair, it's and the, it's, uh, it's practiced. You know, I feel well. Like I said, she's the industry version of get me a safe Joan Jet. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway, something yeah, to think you. on. I, I, I just something I'm noticing. I, I maybe we'll see it later on down the road. I'll point it out again too. Henry, what's our next record? Next record we're going to consider is uh, from a little band called Foreigner. It's Foreigner 4. Uh, we selected this because it was it's another Rolling Stone five-star album. Um, we're going to play you a song of it called Urgent.
I just want to talk about Urgent. Just that song? This whole record's full of filler. It's the biggest filler record there is. But, man, I got to tell you. It's, Urgent is one of those, and I, I, you've probably got a song like this too. The second you hear the song start, I am 10 years old, standing on the corner in front of my house, just got a brand new Walkman <laughs> for Christmas. I've got this tape in. I'm waiting with my BMX bike for my boys to show up so we can go riding around the neighborhood. I can smell my hometown. I remember this rock in my front yard <laughs> that I haven't thought about in 30 years. A rock. It's so sensory. It's this, your. It's, it's part yeah. of why we do this show. I think is like there's, and I don't even know that I ever thought it, about foreigner, but urgent started in the car, and I almost had to pull over. It's your. It was your ratatouille moment. It was. You know. It was. Guess it's who amazing. played that? You know, who played that intro to that. Who? Thomas Dolby. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Did. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> That's probably why you liked it. Also, yeah. I mean, I've been waiting. For me, was the mixtape go-to song that I would put on if I was trying to uh, send a mixtape to a sixth-grade girl. I would put a little bit, I've been waiting for a girl like you. Uh, and you can almost ignore that Lou Graham sounds like he's constipated and needs to take a shit all the time. I kind of... That's, it's interesting. I, I sings down his guts. I wrote about that, too, because I'd forgotten how much that was, but... Um, I did want to ask everyone in our audience for the first time ever to do this. Take a minute. Go listen to Urgent, not just the little track part we played. Go listen to the entire song right now. We'll wait for you. Listen to it intently as much as you can if you, if you don't like it. But if you like it, listen to the whole song and then come back. This song has a herky-jerky sort of funk bass line. Mm-hmm. Gated drums, okay. It's completely early synth line. This early '80s kind of synth line that doesn't go with the funky bass or the gated drums. It's got this growling band, bar band, sings from his nuts '70s singer uh-huh. singing on the thing. Sings and, from his nuts. <laughs> and then you've got this other guy that sounds like he wants to be Jimmy Page playing guitar, and you throw it all in a bowl, and the fucking song works like a charm. <laughs> This but, fucking song so, is so goddamn weird. I don't even know. I, I, I didn't want to talk about any other song on the record. How, did you ever, did you listen to it that intently? Or is it so ubiquitous it's, a song it's, that you didn't a, even. It's almost like a, I don't. A, you're not I, even hearing it. I heard it, but didn't hear it. But I often get foreigner and yes confused. I don't know why. I think it has to do with the cover of this record, which is, you know, the um the cover is just a, like a four. It's a, from a a film. Yeah, like the you know, little things that the, they used to do. Five, four, three. Incidentally, two, one. the original cover art for this was done by that. You know, I, last time I brought this up too, like Def Leppard did their covers by this design group called Hypnosis, Hip G N O S O S I S. They did a lot of records around that time. They did Pink Floyd and all that stuff, but. Um, they did a uh, the initial album art for this, but it was rejected. The band called it too homosexual. I thought that was interesting. Wow, that is interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. But I do. But it, I it is kind of weird because it's. A, I think this album cover is kind of bland. Yeah, but it's iconic. Like remember right. when we were kids? Well, it was if you everywhere. remember, yes, owner. See, owner. I get owner of a lonely heart and waiting for a girl like you. 
kind of mixed up in my head. Wow. For I think it has something to do with the descending notes or something. But um, anyway. Well, fuck. Enough talking about that. I want to talk about Urgent some more. The sax solo in the middle of Urgent is by Junior Walker, who is a blues sax yeah. legend. Yeah. That sax solo, which Henry hates sax solos. This is the epitome of that 80s sax sound that I, I think know. you hate. I do hate But if you really listen intently to it, which I know all of you just did because you went back and listened to it, I've never heard a sax solo that sounds more like a guy going, I'm going to play the sax to sound exactly the way Lou Graham sounds when he sings. It almost sounds exactly like Lou Graham singing, which I think plays to the um, how good Junior Walker is well, as a sax player. It actually sounds like a guy's singing through the sax, which is amazing to me. The record was produced by Mutt Lang, who did not give them the Mutt Lang choir, by the way, which I feel like he, he gave that to Def Leppard. He was saving that to Def he, he, but, but I see similarities, too, between... Lou Graham, like a guy who wants to scream, kind of the way he does, and um, and Joe Elliott. I don't, I, I don't only because I think Mutt Lang likes those kind of guys. That sit I can see that, yeah, but I he, don't. He I, could not have worked with another band that we're going to talk about. So. I feel like this Graham guy was mostly a bar, like a bar singer, you know, like a a bar band singer who just they just happened to get but, kind of but, big. But they were they were AOR. I mean, they were total. A total AOR uh, band. Oh yeah, right? let, let's. I mean, let's not downplay this. Henry. So, this was a big record when we were kids. There were three hits on it. It was number one on the charts for ten weeks. It sold seven million copies in the U.S. alone. And I'm here to tell you, you don't need to listen to anything on this record, but Urgent. And, and not even waiting for a girl like you, because uh, that's kind of sappy and dumb. And, dumb. <laughs> and it's not even the best sappier dumb song they did. They're, that that one they saved for their next record, which we'll cover in another year, or maybe we won't. But anyway, um, this one sucks. So yeah, this is a no for me. But I guess listen to Urgent if you've died, if you haven't heard it, if you're been living in a fucking cave for the rest of your whole life. I guess. Speaking of, have you not heard because of living in a cave? <laughs> the final album we're going to cover this month is Journey Escape. We're covering it for all four of the Rags methods, I think. It just fucking makes it all in all the categories. And the song we're going to play is Don't Stop Believing. Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world She took the midnight train going
I could see a you, look in your eyes, and you're like, you're getting ready to rip the fuck out of Journey. You, you've turned a corner in that you will actually play the, the hit now. Well, I looked at, I, okay, I looked at this. How can you not play Don't Stop Believing" on an 80s All right, music so show? Let's, let's go th- on this album. Oh, there, there's a lot on this album. There's a lot of stuff. Every play. song on this record is good except one. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna let you guess which one I hate. Uh, well, tell me first before I do that. Tell me more about what, why you think I should have picked that. Here's my thing. I was with you. I was not gonna play. Don't stop believing. And what I did was I would go through and I would play the first like ten seconds of each song and go. And every song, just like you were just talking about, I went, oh, yeah, that's going to be the that's one. The one. That's, that's the one. one. And then I hit Don't Stop Believing." Give me a legitimate reason why that's not the song I should be playing. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I mean, it's just. It's either Don't Stop Believing," Open Arms. But Open Arms. Or is Who's a, Crying Now. But Open Arms it's and one Who's of Crying Now are a little bit. They don't punch you right in the face right off the bat. Like don't even stop Stone in Love was good. Stone in Love was good. They, let me let me guess which song you 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 don't like. It's either Mother Father or Still They Ride. Nope, it's Dead or Alive. Really? Okay. really? It's that fake ass like boogie thing. See, that is the one song that they all right. They their money maker was Steve Perry's broad open throat <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if they needed to give him plenty of room to be steve perry i i think he threw these guys a bone with that song um that fake like boogie shit he yeah didn't I, get to, I agree with he you didn't get to be anything that's not the sweet bit that they're supposed to be doing and i think it takes up like valuable real estate well most of you, you know, obviously probably heard this record many times but uh let me just give you a few background pointers this is the first album to feature what is known as the classic 80s lineup of journey mm-hmm. with steve perry and ross valerie and this is the argument i'm going to make jonathan kane joined on this record now steve perry's voice is the moneymaker i am totally yes. with you however just in the same way lindsey buckingham needed stevie nicks i feel like steve perry needed jonathan kane you think so and the reason I think so is I had forgotten that Steve Perry was on the, was on the two or three previous records, which each had a hit here and there. Steve Perry can produce a hit on his own. Wheels in the Sky. And he also did O'Sherry on his own. You know, Was that after this? Yes. Okay. Perfectly fine. Great song. But there's not as many good songs back to back to back. Steve Perry needed another guy to help him flush out... Um, Apex. Those keyboard hooks were really what it's at. But more than that, I think he knows what a good song is. And you pair that with with Steve Perry and you're you're fucking in gold. Neil Sean, that motherfucker, and the rest of the guys, I'm going to make a comparison you're going to hate. You go ahead. (laughs) To me, Perry and Kane are the pop version of Steely Dan's Fagin and Becker. (laughs) You can take the rest of these motherfuckers, including Neil Sean, and they're just like what Steely Dan could have done, which they just brought in like studio musicians. They kind of did. Right. So to <laughs> me, the real news here is Perry and Kane, um, which to me, the other thing about that is I don't know that there's been a band that has ever nailed Midwestern suburbia 
in the eighties in a time period like they they nailed. I mean, I never what thought it of felt it, like to be a, a teenage kid. I never thought of it as midwestern. Well, really? when I say midwestern, I mean I still count the southeast. I, I mean not in a city, mm. not in Chicago, not in New York. This sounds like we're going on tour and we're going to play Ames, Iowa, and all the kids in Ames, Iowa are going to get it. This is music for. Um, Dazed and confused kids, mm-hmm. not kids living so, in the city. But let's talk about this. I will speak to this thing, al- an album cohesion thing, right? Like um, on on Escape, there isn't a hell of a lot of filler. Maybe one song, like I, the one that I hate, I would call filler. Which is probably filler because he throws them a bone. They a little bit, a little bit. And you could probably make a case that a couple of the other songs needed some, to, to be truly great, needed a little work, right? But they were a great singles band. I mean, one of the, the biggest selling records of all time is Journey's Greatest Hits. Which, yeah, which is the only argument for being a better record than this one. And, and so, in Escape has the for me has the benefit of seeing like they he had three like major <laughs> songs on here but the others actually flow in the record pretty well right and i hate when people say a greatest hits record is a band's best record i, I don't think that's fair but but you can speak to like just because like popularity isn't the only measure of greatness right but i think that persistent popularity means something you know oh i'm sure i mean i'm with you i i i I don't think on a popularity scale anybody's gonna fuck with journey anyway i mean he had a strong you know uh memorable voice and i hate it's even uh, it's so uncool to actually like journey that it's cool do you know what i mean i think it's come back around I, I was thinking about this. I, I think I it's okay. I think you're too. safe now to say it was a, say that you like them. You know. So, Steve Perry, as a human being, uh, just put out a solo record recently, mm-hmm. and Steve Perry really—I listened to it uh, for context—hasn't really changed. Steve Perry is still Steve Perry, but today's Steve Perry is not cool at all. <laughs> 80s Journey Steve Perry is cool and I think it's because he was a man of his time. Now he sounds too earnest, too fucking sincere. He sings too fucking good. <laughs> it just doesn't work right now. Um, but, he wor- but he's not doing anything different than he did before. So I know he's probably scratching his head right now going, what the fuck's wrong? Like I just put out a great record. But it just doesn't work the way those old Journey records do. And I'll tell you something else. What? Getting a Steve Perry impersonator to sing on new Journey songs doesn't work doesn't either. Doesn't work either. Mm, it just it's really, it's, um, until those guys get back together and do a real record with all of them. It's just not going to. It's just not going to work. So, Henry, uh, I put so, this in my category, which I think you hate that I have this category. But this is what? 80s canon. This uh, is. Um, yeah, I don't like canon stuff. This is canon but, for me. But so let's talk about this Beatle thing. Okay. So every they did That's great. Seven, I'm glad you brought that up. Seven albums with a beetle on it and nobody will ever I've I've only done a little bit of digging, so I have a a possible explanation for it. But do you know anything about it? Well, I don't except from my own what my own thought is on it, which is there were a couple of things going on in this time period. I don't know if you remembered, but themed album covers. Boston had this upside down guitar 
um, spaceship thing that yeah, they put yeah, on yeah. like 10 records. ELO had this like the spaceship. spaceship thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, now you're, you may be, you research this. So you A may little be bit. I feel like the Beatle is just um, incidental. I think they, they, they went to a guy and said, we need a spaceship looking fucking thing to compete with Boston and ELO. And they just happened to make a Beatle. But man, that was a big thing back then. You had to have a cool script yep. to your name. You yep. had to have a cool font to your band name. And you had to have a fucking spaceship okay, so on the cover. Speaking of the font. Or, or if you were Molly Hatchet, you had to have a guy with a battle axe. You know how today that they do like um, uh, Twitter people and all that will write words but use numbers in it? It's called like leet. And they'll spell it 1337. Right. So it's like only the uh, the elite, elite few people can do that. Well, escape on the cover of the record is written right. E five S C four P three. That's right. So, um, on the cover, and so it's like you could make the case that this was the first elite. <laughs> elite right. speech, was Journey the first elite? Yes. And I you know? and I still hold anyway. in my own perception that none of those motherfuckers knew anything about like the maybe they didn't know anything. <laughs> Had nothing. All to right. Do with so it. the scarab beetle is the symbol for the Egyptian god Kepri. Oh, this sounds like Steve Perry shit. <laughs> who in turn is a symbol of rebirth. Yeah, this is the Steve. sun and creation. Okay, he probably was. Somebody involved. else wrote this. I have no fucking idea. The solar association um, can like make sense. Like departure had wings you know on the beetle um and and there were other heavenly bodies sort of depicted in that but the starship beetle i just think they said hey let's do the beetle but look at what boston did with the cool title yeah we we need something can we have it like busting out of a bubble or some shit we need future it needs to look like a spaceship coming out of a bubble (laughs) so so even like def leopard we talked about this so their shit kind of the scarab beetle is busting out of the bubble and they were just busting out of being like this prog outfit from, you know, he just joined in 77 and it became like a straight ahead prog. Well, and, know, they were, and the keyboardist that they replaced with Jonathan Cain was, um, uh, had artistic differences because they were turning so into this the band. band. Ju- so the, you're, you're kind of right. The band Journey chose the same beetle um, that begins its life. It's a dung beetle, you know, eating from the ball of shit it was born into. Well, I can't wait until we get to the next Journey so, record either because I want to talk about one of my favorite videos of all time, the one where they um, all stand all of and pretend one. to play their instruments and, and, yeah, like pump their fists. At the camera. And Jonathan Cain's walking with his hands up like he's playing the keyboard at you, which I think is amazing. <laughs> and the drummer guy's standing there playing air drum. Yeah, it's Can awesome. we also like try to figure out why were they called heavy metal? They weren't. I never or hard rock. Or hard rock. Yeah. I get, well, I can see the Neil Schoen solo kind of drifting into People that People want to say that's what that was, but it wasn't. He always wanted to be that, though. That kind of finger-tappy kind of solo guy. I can, so, I can see that a little bit. It's so weird. Anyway, uh, Escape is like one of, the, one of those records that you probably have already heard already, but uh, is worth listening to. So, thumbs up from me. Sure. All right, let's, uh, let's see what Megan has to say about uh, this month's selection. Hey everyone, it's Megan here with my July 1981 Part 2 episode. It's our first snow in Michigan, and it added up uh, to be more than expected, unfortunately. So I think winter is here early. But it's nice being in my cozy bedroom, recording this segment. 
Before I go into my pick for the month, I wanted to give an honorable mention to Belladonna by Stevie Nicks. Uh, I used to listen to this album often with my mom. I remember the cassette being in her car, uh, specifically for girls in my age group. I think that we grew up with parents that loved Fleetwood Mac back in the 70s, and of course Stevie Nicks and her solo career. So Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac, the big part of um, my childhood. So I definitely can't go without um, mentioning this album. The album that I'm going to pick, though, for this month is Only a Lad by Oingo Boingo, even though Henry and Chris hate it. It's actually their debut album by Danny Elfman and the Oingo Boingo Boys. Uh, It followed their self-titled EP, which was released in 1980. And of course, this album was released in 1981, so they really cranked it out. You can really hear Danny Elfman's classical music or symphony, whatever you want to call it, influence in this album, along with New Wave, of course, because it was the early 80s, and I feel like everybody was trying to really jump on that New Wave train. The thing I like about Oingo Boingo is they were just really, really weird, and they didn't really give a shit. This album, um, it does have a song called Little Girls on it. And I think the music video was actually banned in, I don't remember what countries, but um, it's definitely, I think people, some people at least, view it as being problematic or whatever, but Elfman has explained that the song is about his girlfriend, who was so small she could fit in the palm of his hands, which I'm, I'm assuming he means, like, very petite, I don't really know, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but I'm gonna do a hot take in that I don't think Danny Elfman is a pedophile. Case closed. I actually think he's married to Bridget Fonda, if anyone remembers the actress. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Well, Henry, I don't think it's going to be any secret that since I just called that last record canon, that I'm going to make the Journey record my album of the episode. But uh, that is going to be my album of the episode. And I'm going to pick Stevie Nicks' Belladonna. I think it's a beautifully written record from beginning to end and has many of my heroes on it. Yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with uh, either of those records if you're wanting to hear 80s music. Um, also, many thanks to our show producer, Greg Levin. And if you like the way we sound, you can talk to him at Urban Dweller, U-R-B-N-D-W-E-L-L-R on Instagram. Thanks to him. We are thankful to him. And I can't say it. And I can never do that. <laughs> we are thankful to him. Nope. Thankful. We are thankful to have him on our team. God <laughs> damn it. And many thanks to Megan Maddox, our social media maven. If you want to start a social media argument with us, you'll probably be arguing with her. Thank you so much for the email, Richard. We really appreciate it. It's, it's a thrill to get to hear from people who like oh, this. Oh, and, to and I work. wanted to say real quick, Henry, I do have a – don't you say something to me about bullets all the time? Yeah, yeah, bullet points. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? No. You oh, always saved ask, rounds? Yeah, I have a saved round. Oh, okay. I've been saving this all week, and I didn't let you say it. Hey, Chris, guess what? What? I made you a mixtape. No, I got saved rounds, motherfucker. <laughs> I just told you. Hey, Chris, you got any saved rounds? Yeah, I got a saved goddamn round. <laughs> okay, give it to me. So, next month, we are going to cover a record that actually came out in July. And Ooh. I feel terrible about it because we covered 10 July records and not this one. And I think this record is far better than Boingo Boingo or a couple of others. Which one? It's also, I think, a record that's very important. And I, even if you don't know it or like it, 
I think I, I think I can make a good case for it being one of the most important records of the 80. And we will cover it next month, but it did come out in July. I just wanted to say that. That's my save round. Okay, good. I haven't listened to that one yet. Moving forward. Hey, Chris, guess what? What? I made you a mixtape. Oh, 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 oh